Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thanks so very much for tuning in on this Sunday evening. I'm so blessed to have you with me. Also, we have staff evangelists for Southwest Radio Ministries and also an assistant to us right here at Antioch. Pastor Josh is with us today. Looking forward to the great things he has to share with us. But I'm going to deal with a few quick questions that's come up this week on this Answers from Antioch. First of all, uh, the question rose as, was Jesus a open borders kind of guy? Would he be in full support of open borders around a nation, our nation, or any nation? Many says, yes, Jesus was that kind of fella. Well, really, was he? Well, let's just look at some of his statements. He said the only way to heaven was through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. With Jesus, there was only one definite way to get to heaven, to get to God, and that was through God's Son, the Lord Jesus himself, who would die for our sins, rise again from the grave bodily, and then pay the payment for our sins so everyone who wants to go to heaven could come through Jesus Christ. If there's many ways to heaven, then Jesus died in vain. So Jesus very emphatically said, you must hear my word. You must understand that if you want to go to heaven, you have to come through me. Now, how does that apply to our open borders? Well, there is a legal process to become a citizen of the United States of America. There's a legal process, and many tens of thousands of people have done that just in this past year. They've come legally into America. Then there's the illegal open border process, which is not really a process. It's just a breaking of the law, a flooding of the borders. And... uh, There are those who says, let's just declare them citizens. Let's open our borders. But wait a minute. What does that do to all those who have went through all of the hardship and the paperwork and everything to become a legal citizen of the United States? There's only one way to legally become a citizen of the United States, and that's to do it according to the exact laws that set up for that. Now, Jesus would not be a open borders kind of guy. He was one that insisted there's a one way and one law and one order to get you to heaven. And I do believe without question, he'd have the same principle for our nation or any nation. We know the Bible tells us that the government is set up, completely set up to protect its citizens. If you open the borders then you stop the protection of the citizens of that particular nation. It doesn't matter what nation you're talking about on earth. The government's job, first of all, is to protect its citizens. And the protection comes from having a definite plan for those who would want to come into that country to become a citizen. They'd have to do it legally according to the law and all the criteria that had been set up. 
So that question is answered. Jesus said, I am the only way. There's no open borders to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not many ways to heaven. It's just one. That hasn't changed. Jesus is still it. And you and I know that. Another question that came up this week is about, uh, many are talking about this, the recent report from the Center of Disease Control and Prevention that talks about the mental illness among our young people. Uh, Even an article in the New York Times summarized it, and I quote, nearly three in five teenage girls felt persistent sadness in 2021. Three out of five teenage girls and one in three girls seriously considered attempting suicide. So think about this. This is a, as the Center of Disease Control released this report, the Times, the New York Times commented on it and wrote this article about it. So it's there. And even some information's coming out from, quote, experts that says we're now 11 years into the largest epidemic of adolescent mental illness ever recorded. And one of the reasons some are saying, and I must agree with this, that the timing of this unprecedented outbreak of anxiety, of depression, uh, discouragement, and other mental health problems, uh, this, this outbreak corresponds just perfectly with the rise of smartphones and the social media apps. Uh, this technology led to a culture-wide exchange of what some are calling, they've exchanged the play-based childhood play-based childhood for a screen-based childhood that does not prepare them for life in itself. It leaves them fragile and open to these feelings of depression and these feelings of suicide. Leaves them open to that. Many are making that statement there. They spend more time on social media platforms and websites that truly Uh, encourage uh, anxiety, they encourage depression, discouragement, and many are doing that very thing. Think about that for just a moment. I think also, and I'm going to add this here from another report that I got this week, that the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of the home, the fatherless homes mainly, I believe is one of the great, great problems, if not the problem, in America today. Do you realize that 90% of those men incarcerated in our prisons across the land, 90% of them did not have a father in the home? That's exactly correct, 90%. So they had no father to show them what a father in heaven would be like. The statistics are uh, are, are mind-boggling when you get to researching these things. Something like 400% that men who have not had a father in the home are 400% more likely to commit a crime with a gun than those who've had a father in the home. Think of that for a moment. And when you see these things and and you understand this, you realize the problem that the children are having, the problem in the home, I do believe can be traced back to a fatherless home that can teach the children of what a true father in heaven is, who loves you, 
who wants the best for you, who will guide you, who will put safeguards in your life. Yes, that's what our children need, our families need. That's what I do believe these teenage girls need. Let's let's move them away from the social media. Get them into a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Fill their minds with the truth of God's Word, and God will change them. I do believe that's so very important. So, here's uh, Pastor Josh is coming now. I want you to listen to all that he has to say to us. Come on. Thank you, Pastor Brad. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Answers from Antioch, brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. We invite you to connect with us on our website. That's AntiochBristol.com. AntiochBristol.com. There you'll find ways that you can connect with us and contact us. Uh, This episode and past episodes of this program are available to download, to share, to listen again uh, right there on the church website. Also, while you're there, you can find links to our service videos from our Sunday worship services. Those are archived in audio and video format. Many different ways you can check that out. The one place that you can go for all of that is AntiochBristol.com. Again, while you're there, you can also find our contact information. Some of our contact info will be given at the close of our program today. I've shared with you the privilege and opportunity that I had to write a book called Fake Jesus for the ministry, Southwest Radio Ministries, with which I serve as staff evangelist. One of the chapters is called The Business Partner, Fake Jesus. I'd like to share a teaching with you based out of this chapter. Now, let me give you a broad overview of the book as a whole. Basically, the first part asks the question, is Jesus God? How do we know Jesus is God? And we go through and break it down chapter by chapter, exactly how we know that Jesus is God. And then the second half of the book deals with what kind of God is he? Christians and non-Christians alike often have misconceptions of who the real Jesus is. It may be because of some hurt in our past. It may be because of some false teaching that we have come under. Whatever the source is, the result is the same. It's a misconception, a misunderstanding of the authentic, the real, can we say the genuine Jesus. It's like you have a counterfeit bill in front of you, a counterfeit, counterfeit, excuse me, piece of money, and uh, the genuine is detected uh, only by the flaws that we see in the the false, the fake, and so we see that there are fatal flaws with each of these fake Jesuses. And we want to discard them, but we don't just want to discard them. Some people walk away from the genuine Jesus, and uh, when they come up against it, they turn away from him altogether. That's not what we want to do. We want to turn to the genuine. It's like if I had a genuine $100 bill and you were holding a counterfeit $100 bill in your hand, and I said, I'll exchange. I'll give you the genuine. I'll take the fake, crumple it up, destroy it, get rid of it, throw it away, and you can have the genuine $100 bill. Who wouldn't take that exchange? And that's really the goal behind this book. And so let's jump into what is the business partner, Fake Jesus. 
Uh, let's start by asking ourselves a question. Have you ever bargained with Jesus? Maybe you've tried to make a deal with Jesus. Like, okay, Jesus, if I obey you, then you ought to bless my life. Or maybe you say something like this, Jesus, I will, and then you can fill in the blank. I'll do this, Jesus, if you answer this prayer for me. And really, this kind of bargaining with Jesus reveals itself in many ways in our lives. Uh, Sometimes it comes out in an intense anger with Jesus. Sometimes it comes out in a fierce competition with others. And Sometimes it becomes frustrated with Jesus when we are stuck in a waiting period in life and we don't see what he's doing or where he's leading us. What about when we give to Jesus and we're expecting something in return and the deal falls through? And so that's really the root of the business partner fake Jesus. But ultimately, that whole system is rooted in a deep misunderstanding of Jesus And we need to be able to find hope and healing in the genuine Jesus beyond the unfairness that we feel. And really, that's the thought here. This isn't fair. Jesus, this isn't fair. So this business partner, fake Jesus, is rooted in conditional love. We try to strike a bargain with him. And then we turn away from him in anger when we feel that he has not kept up his end of the deal. And this view even impacts non-Christian religious practices. They do good works that this particular quote-unquote God demands. Therefore, this quote-unquote God owes us a paycheck of good blessings in this life and in the hereafter. But is that who Jesus is? Is that how he really works? Ultimately, again, there's a deep misunderstanding of the gospel of grace with this fake Jesus. We have to begin with a clear understanding of his good news of grace before we can discuss the business partner fake Jesus and how he how that fake Jesus impacts the followers. You see, some people try to bargain with God over the greatest possession that they have, which is their eternity. And we're going to talk about some of the ways we bargain with him over lesser things. But what could be greater than our eternity? Let's start there. We've got to ask ourselves this very important question. Can I earn salvation? Can I earn righteousness? Can I earn a good afterlife by my good works? The non-Christian religions answer yes, By doing certain good works, by thinking certain positive thoughts, you can achieve a greater spiritual points with a given deity in this life and for the afterlife, for uh, those religious beliefs that hold to an afterlife, in which, of course, we know not all do. But Christianity stands in stark contrast by answering no to this important question. There is no way... According to the Christian biblical gospel of grace, there is no way that we can earn our salvation. So, why do we call the gospel of Jesus good news? Well, to understand the answer to that question, we first have to realize where we stand before God. 
Why would Christianity stand apart from the other religions by answering no to this question? I believe Romans 3, 19-28 distills the truth of this good news succinctly and logically. We've got to understand what God's law is and how God's law works. Now we, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Romans three nineteen tells us. I jumped right into the middle of this powerful chapter, so we need to understand the context before we move forward with these powerful verses. If you back up into Romans 1, we understand that Paul, the author of Romans, states that we know instinctively what is right and what is wrong. And we feel this the most strongly when we are wronged. Let me give you an example. If someone steals our stuff, we instinctively know it's wrong to steal. When someone lies to us, we know it's wrong to lie. And just like many sports cannot be played without clearly marked boundary lines, so too we know instinctively that there are moral laws in place that govern everyone. So would you agree with me that we are not perfect? Would you agree with that simple fact? Would you say, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, of course we would. No, we, we know that we have broken God's moral standard of perfection. I read Romans 3.19 just a moment ago, and Paul says that we stand before God as guilty, and we cannot give any excuse to smooth talk our way out of it. And in the very next verse, Romans 3.20, Paul draws an important conclusion. Therefore, by the deeds of a the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his, that's in God's sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What are these deeds of a law it refers to in this verse? It's simply this, any good work by which we attempt to appease God for our mistakes. In this context, the law refers specifically to the Ten Commandments. And if you'd like to brush up on what are the Ten Commandments, look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. What good are the Ten Commandments then if by obeying them we cannot earn righteous credit with God? Their purpose, the purpose of the law, the Ten Commandments, is to show us when we have stepped out of bounds. As it says in verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. We use a mirror to show us the dirt on our face. But do any of you wash your face with a mirror? I know it's hilarious to even say that. That's because we know that's not the function of a mirror. A mirror is not designed to clean our face. We need soap and water to cleanse our skin. And so too, the law is like a mirror. It reveals to us the sin in our heart, but it cannot cleanse us from our sins. And you know what? It was never intended to do so. That's an important point. The law was never intended to cleanse us from sin. The very next verse, as we go through this important passage, let's go to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Nobody's perfect. We've all come short of God's perfect standard. To come short, as it says in this verse, it carries the picture of an archer that misses the bullseye on their target. They fell short of the mark, can we say. I know this is not uplifting. This is not encouraging to dwell on the bad news. So I'm glad to tell you this is where we move. This is where we transition away from the bad news to the good news in Romans chapter 3. The good news is that Jesus stepped in to take our guilt, to take our punishment when we stepped out of God's moral boundaries. As it says in Romans 3.24, we can be justified freely by His, that's God's grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, friends, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And when we receive His offer of forgiveness, we are justified. That word simply means we are declared righteous by the Father. That very instant, we are set free from the penalty of our sins. So in forgiving us, God is both, as it says in Romans 3.26, He is both just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Suppose someone robbed you of your most valuable possessions. They're arrested and now they stand before the judge, and they begin to argue, Your Honor, I admit I committed this crime. I, I stole their stuff, yes. But please, please, Your Honor, consider how good I've been in my life. I volunteered many, many hours to help the poor and the needy. I was nice to other kids when I was in elementary school. Doesn't that atone for this crime? Think about that scenario. Would the judge be just if he said, you know what, you're right. Your good works do outweigh this one crime you committed. So don't worry about it. You're free to go. You know, our sense of justice should be crying out right now. This isn't just. This isn't fair. You you mean no one is going to restore my stuff? I'm the victim here. They get to go free, and they don't have to repay the stuff of mine that they've stolen, and they get to keep it, and then they get to go free because they were a good person way back. This isn't fair. This isn't right. It's the same thing with God, dear friends. God cannot be just if He allows our good works to atone for our bad works. I hope you understand this very, very, very important truth. But do you know what God can do? He can hold us accountable, and at the very same time, He can still set us free. Let's go back to the courtroom to see how God could accomplish this. Suppose the judge responds to the robber this way, No, your good works do not atone for this crime that you've committed. You've broken the law. You must face the consequences. So the judge passes sentence on the robber and then does something that is very unexpected. He steps down from his bench. He approaches the robber with an offer to pay the sentence. The judge is willing to take the punishment the criminal rightly deserves. Friend, can I tell you, that is exactly what Jesus did. He is both just and the justifier. His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead paid the punishment 
for our sins and that our sins rightfully deserve. All that we have to do is receive this offer by faith. It's truly as simple as that. As the next two verses reveal, Romans 3, 27 and 28, Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Friends, we have no basis to brag. We cannot strike a bargain with God like the robber tried to do with the judge. Our good works are not good enough to atone for our sins. But through His marvelous love, His marvelous mercy, His marvelous grace, Jesus has offered total forgiveness of our sins through faith in Him. The difference between Christianity and all the other world religions hinges on two letters. Other religions say do, D-O, do. But Jesus says done, D-O-N-E, done. As he cried from the cross, it is finished. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make it to heaven on our own. But Jesus has offered himself to everyone who will receive this offer of forgiveness and salvation. I want to ask you a very, very important question. We all must answer this question for our own selves. Have you accepted his offer? Do not try to make a deal with God. Do not try to bargain with him. Do not try to play games with God. It never works. You'll never be able to do it. You must repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Him as you humbly receive His offer by faith. And I want to tell you and invite you to do simply that as we close over the next couple of minutes. Many people cry out to God in prayer to receive this wonderful gift. But can I tell you, it's not magic words It's not even a magic prayer that we have to say or some combination that we have to figure out. Some people look at salvation as if it's like one of the old combination locks and you turn it to the right so many numbers and turn it back to the left, turn it back to the right, turn it back to the left. And finally we get the right combination with the right numbers and it all lines up and boom, the lock opens and you gain access to whatever is locked up behind there. And that is not the picture of salvation. It's not just praying till you get through or anything like that. It's simply the heart cry, the heart expressing what is in itself as you come face to face with God and the real authentic God. And you say, Lord Jesus, I realize that I've been following a lie and I realize that I am a sinner, that I need you as my Savior I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again on the third day for me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. Jesus has promised that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He will not reject you. He will not turn away from you. You may not hear 
bells ringing and light shining down from heaven or any kind of bombastic or loud kind of response. But by faith, you can know that God is your Savior and you have new life with him through faith in what you have done in that moment. If you've got questions about that, please reach out to our ministry. Our contact information is coming up in just a minute. If you'd like to get a copy of this book that the study I shared with you is based out of, you can do so by calling 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting swrc.com and ordering a copy of the book, Fake Jesus. And may God bless you as you walk with him. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us, and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.